Hey, welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abraham Zalunga. This story comes from Danny. He's a PK, a.k.a. a pastor's kid. As an adult, he decided to follow in his father's steps and start a ministry of his own. But once he was finally leading a congregation, his thinking around what it means to start a church began to unravel. Here's what happened. Black girl magic and all that good shit. I am definitely a motherfucking mermaid. I took my shirt off. I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. But they start taking everything off. I was like, niggas don't skinny dip. Black women are healers and nobody can tell me any different. You're listening to You Had Me at Black. So growing up in the black church, it always felt like home. You were always greeted with a smile, with with a hug, with a kiss, with love. Everyone knew you. Uh, we spent all day in service. I mean, literally, we were, the, we were the churches that would go and start at like 11 and then end at 3 and then have a break and go to Church of Chicken and then come back at 5 or 6 and stay all night until it was like, okay, we have to go to school tomorrow. Can we please go home? My dad being a pastor and my mom being, being really involved in the ministry, it was family. It wasn't perfect. You know, it was messy at times. It was, you know, drama. It was, you didn't really have to stand up and tell all your daughter business while you stand up in testimony time, right? But it, it did feel like home. I would always tell people, you know, when they asked when I was really young, what did you want to be? And I would always tell them, I, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a preacher, you know, like my, my father. That's all I really knew. So in 2014, I was newly married and we had moved into a community called Fairfield, Alabama, just right outside of Birmingham. And we really felt called to invest in the community that was majority black. Um, my wife had worked at a group home in that community. We had friends that were still house parents at that group home. I was working at that time in the city government, also doing ministry. And so we we're like, hey, how can we how can we invest in, and really give back? The church we were at, the church plant, was um, a majority white church. We were the first, one of the first African-American families that were really a part of that church. But we felt called to invest. We knew people. And so we're part of this church community that we feel really connected to. And we're part of a, a, a actual community. Uh, in Fairfield that we're, we're really connecting with. And so we find ourselves living in those two worlds and in some ways really trying to bridge them together. And then Michael Brown gets killed. Um, and we begin to have more conversations around racial reconciliation. How can we, how can we have racial reconciliation? How can we bring folks together? But people are geographically separated. In order to really do that, you, you really have to like be very intentional about coming together because situations just don't dictate that black folk and white folk will just come together. So we were trying to be really intentional about what that looked like. And so living in a majority black community in Fairfield, we begin to engage as believers, like saying, hey, you know, we just want to love people. Come over to the house. Let's eat. Let's hang out. And then, hey, yeah, you want to come to church? Yeah, and you come to church with us on Sunday. But our church wasn't in the community. So, you know, we would either people would have to drive or we would load up the car, or, you know, and and take people with us. And and that's when you begin to see that 
for my wife and I, it was a little easier for folks because we're middle class black folks who received some level of education. And so people felt more comfortable around us. But as we began to bring folks who who hadn't been raised in maybe middle class houses and maybe hadn't gone off to college and received an education and, and maybe who who fit certain stereotypes about black people and black people from certain communities um, and certain parts of, of the city. Um, you begin to see that those interactions weren't always positive for the black folk or the white folk. They were, they were confronting so many misconceptions. I remember one meeting that we had was about a conflict um, that this white leader in our church was having with one of our black families um, and they were trying to really figure out how to engage this family because of the conflict that their children were having. So I was trying to let them know it's important not to break relationship just because you're having conflict. Like this is part of, of how you work through issues and how you build relationship is conflict. When you bring people from different worlds, different backgrounds, different experiences together to to talk about these things, uh, to, to try to enter into relationship, you have to talk through, work through things. So I was trying to get him to understand because he was like, well, I don't know if we if our families just have too many things that are too different. Like maybe, maybe we just don't have anything in common. And it came off and, and it came off as though it was really difficult because this family was a black family, um, not just because of socioeconomics, but because they were black. And so he was defending himself saying, no, that's not what it is. I remember telling him um, like, look, listen, it's going to be challenging. You're right. Like you're going to have to work through some things. You all's families may do things different, but if you're serious and if we're serious about really building a community that is centered around like reconciling relationships and bringing people together who usually would not be together, then we're going to have to work through the tension. And he just really seemed um, in some ways unwilling to work through some of that tension. He kind of shut down. I was kind of upset. So we didn't really get anywhere. And and after that um, conversation just died off, he stopped coming around. I began to see a through line throughout a lot of the conversations was selfishness. What's best for me? What's best for my family? It was it was very clear. Like we would talk a lot about unity, but in order to have unity, you have to have sacrifice. We have to be willing to compromise. We have to be willing to listen and have conversation. And that wasn't always something that was wanted, even though it was needed. And at that time, I've been already like asking myself the question, is this something I want to continue to do? Like, I feel like I've been living in these two worlds. I feel so torn because I I really want to invest in black communities. I feel like I want to see a church that doesn't just try to take folk out their community and and build on middle class values, but says, you know, if we believe that this thing called the gospel, you can live that faithfully where you are and provide opportunities here without it being, oh, let me take you out your community and show you something else. And maybe your goal should be to get out of your community and come over to our community where you might not feel wanted or accepted or loved or cared for. And I, I began to realize that, you know what? I no longer feel at home if I ever did in this environment and so i went to my pastor and we had a conversation and i said you know what i feel like it's time for me to move on 
and to start my own ministry. Church planning is an industry, right? There were these big national conferences that people would have about church planting and there were books and there were, I mean, so there was a multi-million dollar industry on church planting. And so the mindset was, well, let's just go start a church, right? <laughs> like, let's build up our community. Let's give back. Let's save the folk. And so that's what we did. My story begins in September 2020. I'm months into the panty and Corona has taken a lot, including my energy, creativity, and sanity. One day I plopped down with my notebook, willing something, anything to come out. I've been saying that I wanted to write a book and since I can't really go anywhere, why not try now? But the page stays empty. My anxiety and loneliness seeps in, dimming whatever creative spark I may have had. My roommate Jasmine walks in and asks me to help her move some furniture. Where does she get the energy? I'm squatting to pick up the couch when she goes, eh, you know you've been doodling in your notebook for hours. <laughs> Hardy har har, Jasmine. I tell her, look, honestly, it's a little scary how little creative energy I have. Jasmine nods. She's like, yeah, living through a pandemic will exhaust you. The world has been on fire for months now, and I'm craving a way to express how that and everything makes me feel. The problem is, I don't know where to start. Jasmine gets this excited look on her face. I recently saw something that I wanted to sign up for. I think you should too. It's called the kinship. The what? The kinship, she says. You know the podcast you had me at Black? Yeah, well, their team created it. It's a digital community designed to nurture your inner creative and give you a creative outlet. They got workshops, creative sessions, virtual meetups, and creative prompts to get your creative juices flowing. It sounds dope as hell. Y'all, I run to my room. I'm signing up now, I shout behind me. Finally, some hope and some inspiration. Take it from me. You may be on lockdown, but your creativity doesn't have to be. Join the kinship at www.youhadmeatblack.com slash kinship. We ended up moving to the eastern part of town um, several years before I, I was doing a lot of engagement out there and it's a majority black community and houses the largest housing community in the in the city in the state of Alabama. And we really felt called to engage intentionally there. So I began to build relationships with folks and get to know them and to knock on their doors and walk through the community and, and pray for folks and, and just try to be present. And people began to identify with me as their pastor. And people began to to, to see me and call on me when they needed something. And so I felt like, hey, I'm doing it. And my mind was set on what I, what I saw was a Sunday morning service, right? Everything that I had been a part of up until this point, except what I experienced uh, growing up was a Sunday morning type of fellowship. And so as we began to try to gather folks for that Sunday service, we were just like, hey, how about we just start off kind of meeting in our home? And so we did that and it went pretty, it went okay. We don't have the biggest house in the world. So we quickly began to outgrow the house that we were in. 
So as we were moving from the Bible studies in our home um, and just having this conversation around uh, what does it look like to engage in our community and, and be light and disciple people? We were going to move into a more of a formal church setting where I would preach on Sunday morning and be the main pastor of this church. I was part of this group. It was leaders. It was ministry leaders. It was business leaders. It was people that felt called to this community. It was about 10 of us, three black people and then and, and seven white males, right? All of us were males. Um, and we, we, we initially started just to pray together. Um, and then we started going through the book of First John. And so we went line by line through the book of First John to talk and pray through it. I remember that it'd be really good when we talked about some of the more like theological, theoretical, um, personal application things. You know, First John deals a lot about the kingdom and, and sin. And so we'd have great conversations on those things. Um, but then when we got to some of the most practical things, when John talks about, like, if you if you hate your brother who you've seen, how can you say you love God who you've never seen? We would always run into some very challenging conversations. I remember one time we were talking about this practical application of love and the community. Um, and and it was it was it was around the time. I don't remember exactly what happened, but another uh, unarmed black person was killed by police officers. And we had a conversation around uh, violence, you know, as me and another black person that was there was sharing the challenges of policing and being black in America. They brought up, you know, uh, black on black crime and black on black violence, you know, really kind of dismissing it and then brought up their own personal experience. Some of them had moved into a they were white, moved into a majority black neighborhood and brought up some of the challenges that they experienced in building relationships. And I, same thing, I share that, you know, it is really important to not go into these situations if you talk about being a missionary or being missional or you have a stated goal of building out, you know, this ministry. You can't go into it with this mindset of now you're there, you're the savior. And, and that was a lot of pushback on that because they, they felt like, well, I'm doing good work and I'm not being accepted or it's not being appreciated. And so it was it was always that pushback of look at what I'm doing. And it should be more appreciated. I began to share how we wanted to move just this gathering of folk in our home and really build a church that more people in the community can come to. And so there was a guy who owned a local business there. This is a white man. He was very engaged in the local business community. He did construction. And so we revitalized spaces. He had renovated this Masonic temple and it was a beautiful event center in the midst of this redevelopment of this community. And so he said, hey, I want to allow you to use this center for free. And he came to me and, and, and invited me to do that. And so I was excited. Like, hey, this is this is what I've been praying for. This is what I've asked him for. This is so great. We're having these rough conversations with each other, these difficult, challenging, tense conversations, but but maybe it's making a, a difference. And I was I, I began to like believe that we're seeing a change. So a few weeks went by. I set a date for when I wanted us to, to launch and begin to telling people those dates. And it was very difficult for me to get in touch with them. And so finally, I got in touch with him. We met at a local restaurant and his entire tone shifted. 
when we sat down, he began to question me about rumors he had heard about local black pastors. He's questioning me about all these acts by people I don't know, I haven't really heard of. And he he's, he's saying these things and asking, well, what do you think about that? And like, would you ever do something like that? And he was very noncommittal. Right? I couldn't really get anything solid from him. And so it left me feeling really weird. Like, I felt like I just got interrogated. And I also feel like he's changing his mind. But I'm trying to believe the best. So we end the conversation feeling like, no, man, all, all is good. All is well. I just, I just want to meet with you and talk. We get closer and closer to the date that we've set to start. And we've told people this is where we'll be meeting. And we're trying to get all these things ready, everything that you need to move outside of a home setting into a public setting. And I can't get him on the phone. And I'm asking people like, hey, have you spoken to him? Oh, I saw him not too long ago. I'll talk to him the other day. And I'm like, okay, well, if you see him or you talk to him, can you ask him to give me a call? I eventually end up calling him from a different number and he picks up. I'm like, hey, man, this is Danny. How are you doing? Oh, man, I've been meaning to give you a call. How are you doing? I said, I'm doing all right. Um, I, I just wanted to check in and follow up, make sure that we're good. We're coming up on that date. We're about two weeks out at this time. And so he says, oh, man, I've been meaning to call you, but you know, man, we're not going to be able to do it. We got, to, we got too much going on right now. Um, it's just not going to work out. I feel terrible. I'm so sorry. But hey, let me know if there's anything else you need. So what do you mean if there's anything else I need? This was, this was what you committed to doing, not from me asking, but you said, hey, you all could do. And now we're two weeks out from what I've been telling everyone based off what you said. And now you're saying we can no longer use this space. So I felt confused. I felt lied to. And I realized, hey, I don't have any power here. Like, I, I don't have any power. And I began to question what I was like taught. Like, why, why do I start from this premise that after 2000 years of the gospel and the gospel being in America and like there's traditional black churches, like and there's just so many different people that are committed to the community. Why do I have this belief that, that, that I, I have to be the savior, right? We have to be the savior of the community. We have to be the savior of these people because if we don't do it, then nobody else is going to do it. And so I began to question my significance in that, right? Like, am I, am I, am I needed to be the guy that starts this amazing church or can I plug into things that are already going on on the ground because there's ministries there's people that have been faithful for years decades that know how to do this far better than I do who understands that it's not just about building a Sunday service it's not just about starting a Sunday gathering but it's about community and so maybe instead of trying to infuse this majority culture concept of doing church into these African-American communities, maybe I don't know as much as I think I know, and I should engage with folks who have been doing this and know more than I do, and I should just, I should learn from them, I should serve, so my mind began to shift and change from the planning a church, being the savior of the community, and starting your own community to plugging into existing community, and so that's what we decided to do. We looked, we talked about where do we want to go, and, and we knew that we wanted to, we, we knew we didn't want to go into a majority white church any longer. And so we talked to some friends, and, and they helped us get connected to a, a church that had a vision for community impact and community engagement. 
and just faithfulness and really we're seeking to build relationships not perfectly but really trying but we decided to be part of harvest community church which is a oh man it's a beautiful church with a with a beautiful pastor and congregation it gives you that that welcoming feeling majority black black led i remember walking in before all this covid stuff and it was February for Black History Month. We did a, a Black History Month program and the, and the children did speeches. It had been so long since I've been to the church where the uh, the children did speeches for Black History Month and they sung a uh, a Negro spiritual good news. Is it ain't it that good news? And the the church was so alive, just humming and and, and singing and, and shouting and hands raised and music. And so um, walking into this space uh, in Harvest was refreshing. It was. It was what I needed. It was what I had been longing for. I didn't have to be the man, the guy. I didn't have to have all the answers or solutions. I could be a part of a community and it felt like that. I had the freedom to not know. And that was something that I hadn't really experienced um, in a while. Thanks for listening to You Had Me at Black. If you like what you just heard, leave us a rating or review wherever you're listening right now. It helps more people find the show. We're a podcast.